what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our ongoing film review and discussion show here on TheMesh.tv. I am Alan Jackson. With me, Mr. Chris Fry. Chris, how you doing? Hello, podcasting land. I'm doing fun. Good, good. Good to have you back here. We're, uh, we're ready to talk some movies. Uh, we just kind of hop into the stuff. We talk about some reviews. We talk about some uh, occasionally some film news. But today, today I think it's going to be another review show. Is that, is that what we got in mind, Chris? Yes, I think so. It's summertime. Yes. We have both have seen a lot of movies lately. And we've got some movies to talk about. So, without further ado, let's jump right into our main review, which is the film Prometheus. King has his reign. And then he dies. It's inevitable. Prometheus is dead. Chris. You're a big fan of the Alien franchise, or at least the first two films. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think you and I have talked about this in the past. We both admire the first Aliens film and the second one, the first one being the Ridley Scott original. Mm-hmm. A little more on the horror side mm-hmm. with the sci-fi element built in. Then you've got the Aliens, the sequel, which was James Cameron's, uh, one of his earlier films. Not his first film. I think he did the Terminator film first. But an earlier film that really put his name on the map. And that one... Some elements of horror, but really became more of an action thriller movie than anything. Right. Then you've got three and four, which do we really need to spend a whole I lot mean, of time talking Fincher about? Fincher did three. Yeah, but okay. It was early Fincher. Yeah. And it was. I, it was very studio micromanaged Fincher at that point, I believe, too. So three and four, eh, you know, had mixed results for the most part. Then you had the whole Aliens and Predator franchise jazz, which I don't even pretend like happened anymore. No. I don't even think I saw those films. But here we are, 2012, Ridley Scott, back in the director chair for a quote, and I am doing the air quotes here that I know listeners can't see, <laughs> prequel yes. to the Alien franchise, although there's been a lot of discussion about whether it, how tightly it is into that, that universe or how intent it was to be a prequel. Now we've seen the film. There was a lot of speculation, a lot of questions for a long time, what this was going to be about, what the story was about. How did it tie into the original Alien film? Here we are, Chris. I'm not going to do the whole ranking where you rank all four or five of the Alien films okay. or the, this series top to bottom. But just kind of tell me, where does Prometheus fall in the top half of that list or in the bottom half where we've got Aliens 3 and 4 in the grand scheme of things? Uh <sighs> I was very surprised when I walked out of the theater after watching Prometheus. Mm -hmm. Um, Reason being is it was not what I expected. Okay. But yet it exceeded my expectations. Exceeded your expectations. Right. right, Because Hmm. I I was kind of worried that it was going to be a disaster. And it wasn't what I expected because I expected, even though he had been quoted as saying it was a prequel, but it wasn't a prequel. You know, he was kind of 
you know, not wanting people to just say, oh, yeah, this is like a reboot, you know, and, and so and it wasn't a reboot, but yet it was. It's just a very interesting way to kind of give a backstory without mm-hmm. relying completely on everything you've developed in the other movies. I, I I liked it and I would probably rank, but it it's definitely better than three or four. OK, you know, if you were doing that. Um it's, but it's so different than what one and two were trying to yeah. achieve. So to me, this is a science fiction tree of life. That's what this is to me. Interesting. And that's what. Because in, it dealt with a lot more bigger picture yeah, issues. And how and, pe- and internal yeah. things, what people are struggling with. It's about internal struggles, about what people believe. The other movies, yeah, for most part are suspense movies or horror, straight out horror movies or action movies. This movie is not interested in being a horror movie, I don't think. Well, this movie okay. is not interested in being an action movie, I don't think. Some people no. might think it's kind of boring, actually, in the first it's, 30 or 40 minutes. It's not an action movie, no. And no. what I think it's going for, it has elements of those things, but it's really trying to make you think. Yes. And I felt very comforted when one of the first credits I saw come up on screen was uh, Damon Lindelhoff, who'd mm-hmm. written Lost. Yes. And I saw that and I was like, whoa. And I didn't know that going in. And I saw his name pop up and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And when the movie finished, I was like, yes, I think I can tell that he had something to do with this script. Just some of the ways things are thought about, but not clearly answered. And I think if people, fanboys, for for example, if they go into Prometheus wanting all their questions to be answered about how the aliens did this and all this you're not going to get that. That's not what he's interested in. Just like with Lost, I don't think like there were a lot of hard answers in there. There were some, but they're interested more in what does it mean to you? How do you feel about it? It seemed to be more of the interest in the mythology and what things mean as opposed to how they actually happened. Happened. Um, Although I will say there was actually more tie in with the original alien movie than I expected there to be. Me too, because he distanced himself so much from. I really thought it was going to be so distantly removed that you would almost have to like really think hard about where the connection points would be. Mm -hmm. But then in the final closing couple minutes, you know, the scene I'm talking about, I'm not going to spoil it, but the last scene you see the very last pretty much nails it in. Like, okay, this is how the connection is to the alien movie. There's still some question marks. How do we get from that point at the end of, the, of Prometheus to the beginning of the uh, the uh, the original Alien film? But it's a lot cleaner and a lot more out there for us to understand than I expected going in. I thought it was going to be much much more obtuse when with regards to the Alien franchise than it was. All right. Um, so you liked it? I did. I, I liked it a lot, and okay. I can't wait. And you know, another mark I've said on here before is I can tell if I really liked a movie because I immediately want to turn around and watch it again. Yep. I watched this movie at a midnight screening and I would have liked to go ahead and watch it again. Well, let me ask you another question on the same line. It does end in a way that it could be the only Prometheus film and it would have had a closure, but they obviously have set up a very, very open door for a sequel. Would you see a sequel if, if it was really Scott directing it? I mean, well, of course you'd see it. Would you be excited about seeing it? I would be just as leery as I was of this one, you know, because I was like, why are you doing that? And actually, I'll go ahead and say, you know, I said this is kind of like a science fiction tree of life. We had talked about um, Midnight in Paris, and I thought Woody Allen should stop. Yeah. 
I think Ridley Scott should stop. Uh, okay, so it's more of a, it's more of a. You feel like if he tried to do another a sequel to Prometheus, I think if he if he makes another movie, he's gonna. I, <laughs> wow. I think he and Woody Allen should both say, "Guess what, guys? We're done. We've retired for filmmaking. We're gonna go and buy an island, oh, and we're gonna funny. have a really good time." Because the two of them together, Ridley Scott. Yes, he's made some good movies, but they have been diminishing returns for yeah. me. I mean, he made a Robin Hood movie. I don't know if he. Well, the ones saw in that. the last ten to fifteen years have not been as well received. And I was worried when he was returning to sci-fi, he was returning to Alien. Like, okay, yeah, you're just doing a money grab. But no, I think he went back with a very intentional script, some good acting, and it was well thought out. And I think he made an excellent movie. And I don't think he's going to top it so i think he should just be like i'm going out on this so chris has this chris has this fictional island out in the middle of nowhere where directors go to retire That's once right. they've done their one their perfect film at the end of their career so well i mean so he right is, now woody he is, allen, i think he's like 70 yeah right now you got woody allen and uh and, and uh and this guy out there hanging out on an island together yes we'll see what other directors may join them in the coming years <laughs> so. right. all right well let me say i very similar reaction to you I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Actually, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Oh, really? Okay. I went in with low expectations as well. I was expecting it to be more boring than it was, hmm. which is good because it did have some slow parts. But the times where it was infused with action or scares or some pretty intense scenes, I found them thrilling because I knew going in it was going to be more of a thought-provoking movie. I was surprised that there was some general good elements of thrills and some scares in there as well. Um, but yeah, I did. I did like it. Um, it left me with some questions. Yep. It left me with some things I wish I knew more about. I think any good movie does that. Uh, but I agree. I was going to say the same thing. I'm not bothered by it. I don't feel cheated. I don't feel like it was a slap, slap in the face. I just feel like, man, I wish I would love to spend more time with this situation in this world in this time period. So, uh, let's talk about some of the things that really worked well specifically in the film. Okay. Uh, talk about the directing. Talk about the acting. What are some things that really jumped out at you or some scenes in particular? Um, well, we'll start off, I guess, with some of the acting because that's sure. easy to put. Michael Fassbender is the, the android. You David. liked him in this? I did. Yeah, me too. I thought he did a really <laughs> good job. and uh, I, I don't think we're going to be disagreeing on anything, unfortunately, yeah, for this I wouldn't review. be surprised... I mean, there again, you know, it came out now. It's a long haul till Oscar time. But people kind of like him anyway. Michael Fassman is kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I could, I could see maybe. I don't think it's something he's going to get tons of recognition for only because he, he's playing an android. I mean, yeah. there's no spoilers there. I think anybody can figure out. I mean, you, you know in the first 10 minutes oh, yeah. that you see him. He's yeah. an android. Yeah, yeah. He is a similar type of android like we had in the original Alien film and mm-hmm. all that. Um He's a mysterious character. Oh, yeah. You don't quite know his intentions. You don't quite know his original programming. You don't mm-hmm. know what he's there for. Um, but fascinating character. Oh, yeah. Done extremely well by Michael Fassbender. And I don't think he's going to get tons of attention come awards time for it because I think anybody could look at it and say, well, that's a very specific role that people, you know, you, you have your mannerisms a certain way. It's very similar to how other people have played that type of android. I do think, though, he added another layer to it that really made he was the most interesting character in this film for me that every scene he was in i thought was just really really well done i i think yeah he was he was definitely the most interesting character because i guess he had more to do i guess in a way and but i think the rest of the cast was a good ensemble cast well Um, numi rapaz who uh 
the girl with the dragon tattoo, the original the Swedish original version. Right. Uh, good actress, very good actress. And, and I thought she did fine. I mean, it wasn't, she didn't blow me away with her performance, but I thought it was good. I thought it, was, it served the role. And to try to help people who maybe haven't seen the movie, she's kind of the Ripley 2.0. You know, she kind of, in a way, is kind a of a bit. Sigourney Weaver. You know, Although she, I think she's a little more of a, she's got a lot more emotions to deal with than I think Ripley did. True. Well, they're getting, Later on. Right. Ripley became a little hardened by, by the second movie. Uh, Numi Rapace's character, Elizabeth Shaw, she's still, uh, she's, I, mean, well, I think the whole pregnancy, lack of pregnancy, the issue she goes through, which mm-hmm. will lead me to one scene that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, gut-wrenching scene. And intentionally I'm using the word gut because that plays yes. into the scene. Yes. But um, a scene with a medical... What do you call it? It's a medical surgery surgery. surgery robot. Yeah, it's a surgical robot. It's a surgical robot uh, device that has to she has to use to get something out of her. Let's just put it that way. And there again, a lot of homages back to the original Alien. Some things that harken back to that same that same idea. Yep, Um, that scene specifically. If you go to scenes, that was a really good scene. Very good scene. That was my favorite scene of the film. That and anything Michael Fassbender's in as the robot as Mm -hmm. uh, David. Uh, Charlize Theron. She's there working as the, with the corporation, the Whaling Corporation. I, I was kind of hit or miss on her. I like the fact that there was a lot of mystery to her. I was disappointed that her story got cut very abruptly at the end, and you just really didn't understand what her true intentions were. Uh, you did learn a little bit about some family dynamics with her and the corporation and her relationship, but she was, she was gone pretty quick at the end of the film um, without a whole lot of follow-up to really – find out more about her yeah and I, I think that's just you know running time and yeah. yeah but for what she got to do or had to do i i thought she did a really good job yeah so. okay uh, every, anybody else in particular i mean i think overall i, I think you're right it was a good ensemble I overall one, there weren't any other standouts i was gonna say there's a guy who i didn't know was in the movie would that be guy pierce yes guy pierce of his role because that was the one really really weak spot for me really well a makeup I thought the makeup was atrocious. Actually, when I when I first saw him in makeup, he plays a character in the film that he's very unrecognizable as Guy Pierce, the actor. Yeah. Um, and I thought the makeup was just laughable when I first saw it. I just really mm. they're trotting him out in this makeup in this high caliber, really really well produced film, and he looks like he just I don't know. It just I thought it was really it was really laughable uh, makeup job on him. But you know, otherwise I thought the role he played was fine. Hmm. But I did think the makeup was pretty bad on that. Hmm. Is there anything else about the film stand out or good or bad? that um, uh, Stand out. There are just so many scenes and I really liked it a lot. I will say, I guess maybe it would be easier to come down on something that I didn't like. Because okay. overall, I, I really like the movie. There's one scene, probably it's in the third act or getting close to the close of the movie. But basically a character has been infected yes or he, he you know he's sick and it's a tr- out and out horror aspect he comes back and confronts members of the prometheus crew that's the name of the ship as well and he comes back and it's basically just an excuse for them to have a fight yes and it does to me it was just an excuse to have a typical horror movie cliche of coming back and fighting other people and You're talking about a- like at the loading dock type of area there were two scenes one where he comes to the ship 
after they find out he's infected. Okay, yeah, not. Yeah. And then there's the second time he comes back, or no, it's actually not it's him. A, it's it's another, a different person. Different I'm talking about the okay. second time. All right, yes, yeah, the I'm talking about time. I, th- I thought it was a little gratuitous. It just it was there just to give a kind of a gory sequence with a flamethrower and just to go nuts with things. So, yeah, I yeah. thought that was kind of dumb. I didn't really see the the point yeah. in that. The first one I did, there was emotional impact. Sure. There was reasoning behind yes. it. The second one was just nothing more to me than just to have some. Yeah, I agree. It was action, a little out of place, and it didn't really do anything for the rest of the film. Um, there were some gaps, some areas where I, I just didn't quite understand the logic on some things. There again, try not to get too spoilerly with it. Yeah, but, it's hard um, on this one. <laughs> the the ending of the movie, one of the characters in the film is able to leave this planet. Yes. On a on a on a ship. Which my understanding is that ship would be identical to the other ship that all the action was taking place. Yes. And if that's the case, that ship would also be loaded with the same supplies that the first ship would. A uh, yeah. couple of questions there. I'm being very vague. If yeah. you've seen the film, you know could what I'm be. talking about. Could Maybe be. offline at some point we'll, we'll go into more detail. Just a few things that just didn't quite make as much sense. But I also feel like... They weren't, there weren't enough of them to detract my enjoyment of the film. And maybe there's some things that actually would be better settled and answered in a follow-up film. I don't know. And you had kind of asked, would I see the second film? And I probably would, but I would be just as worried because knowing what the seeming setup is for mm-hmm. that follow-up film with the ship leaving, yes. I can't imagine how they could make a whole movie of that. I. I'd and have stretched. it be good. <laughs> I'd be stressed to, to wonder that as well. Okay. But. Overall, it sounds like we both really liked Prometheus. Yes. We have a few minor misgivings with it, a few things that we still question. But overall, very positive response from you. Yeah. I echo that. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it better than I expected I would. And I'm a big fan of both of the first two Alien films as well. So to say that, yes, it's, in, it's batting around somewhere with those two. Maybe if I really look back on it, if, I, if, if, if which ones I would want to watch again, it's still going to be the original Alien, the second Aliens, and then this one. But to be up in that category, it's pretty good. You know, yeah. I'm okay with that. It's up in that top half of the Alien films as opposed to being down in the bottom half. Well, and I think the shame of it is, to me, this is a science fiction movie like... 2001 or something like 2001 didn't have horror elements in it. This did, but like it's a movie that's trying to do more than just have an action movie. And I wish more science fiction movies like this were made and they're just not, you know, they're, they're either focused sheerly on the action aspect or, you know, it's just a shame that more of them like this. And that's probably a reason why I enjoyed it. And it was surprised as much because we just, like you said, we don't get that many good highbrow, intelligent science fiction films anymore. Right. So, good. So Prometheus is probably still playing in theaters as you're listening to this. I mean, it's, it's making a pretty decent run right now. Uh, both positive reception from us. So we definitely encourage you if you're a fan at all of good science fiction, uh, of any of the previous alien films, you definitely need to go check this out. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, Chris and I go rapid fire with some reviews of films we have seen in the recent weeks. Uh, A lot of new films, a lot of things that we want to let you know about. And then we'll cap it off with a recommendation film that you may want to check out uh, in the near future. But stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. 
Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films. Uh, the first half of the episode, we did our major review of the film Prometheus. Now it's time to go into more of our uh, shotgun approach on reviews, where we both have seen some films recently. I think we're both going to talk about two films that we have seen in the recent weeks. So, and just give us a little bit of an insight on what we thought of the film and uh, some advice to you, the movie, movie going public, if you're interested in going out to the multiplex or going to wait for these movies to come out on Netflix or DVD in the coming months. So, Chris, I'll, I'll, I'll start first, if it's okay with you. Yeah. Uh, we had a Foot Candle Film screening recently, which, you know, Foot Candle Films, which the show is named after, is a film society here in North Carolina where we view uh, a little more alternative, independent films, lesser-known films on a monthly basis. We had our screening just a couple weeks ago. Uh, the film we watched during the month of June was The Kid with a Bike, which is a 2011 French slash Belgium film. Okay. It's Belgium because, you know, the filmmakers are, are Belgian by, by descent, I believe, but yet the okay. whole film was in French. Gotcha. So it's got that whole French Belgium slash uh, feel to it. Okay. Uh, the Dardan brothers. I don't know how familiar you are with any of their work. Heard the uh, name, but that's it. Jean Pierre and Luc Dardan. Okay. Uh, I've been making films for, I believe, close to 30 years. I tried wow. to look back through their history, very rich history of French cinema. And uh, normally more dramatic films, more human interest, generally films about people dealing with very, very difficult situations. Okay. So this is my film of theirs to see, the first one I've seen of theirs as well. And it definitely fit the same mold. Uh, what we have is a story about a young boy, a uh, young boy that his name is Cyril. And you come to find out that Cyril has been basically abandoned by his, his father. We don't know what happened to his mother. It's never really talked about. But his father has abandoned him. He is living in a uh, kind of an orphanage type home or uh, uh, kind of an academy where they keep up with kids, wayward kids that are, are uh, uh, not in a, in a solid family situation. Gotcha. And this is a boy who is bound to determine that his father has not forgotten him. His father's not abandoned him. He's going to find his father. He's going to reconnect with his father. And the whole thing, the, the title, The Kid with a Bike, has to do with um, a bike this boy's connection with his bike is almost his one main link back to his father. Hmm. Supposedly the bike was something his father bought him years ago, okay. but then it's something that his father also recently sold oh. to get money. Okay. So now the boy is trying to reconnect with his bike, which is also in a way reconnecting with his father, and then also to find his father. Uh, enter a, a woman named Samantha who uh, gets to know the kid through some different situations, uh, starts to take him in, starts to care for him. Really, the film is an exploration about this young boy dealing with some very, very tough situations, uh, very awkward situations that you would never want any kid to go through. Abandonment by his parents. He's got anger issues. He's you know prone to get more uh, susceptible to uh, uh, illegal activities when, when asked to take part in those. Hmm. Just a lot of tough situations for a kid that age. And then a relationship with a woman that has no birth relation to him whatsoever, but yet she has interjected herself into his life and the dynamics between the two. I think a very good film. Okay. Um, 
it can be a little tough to watch it sometimes because you are looking at a young boy that's going through some very difficult situations and the, the actions he takes on others because of it. It can be a little tough to watch. I have a tough time watching just the whole abandonment of kids anyway. That's just a tricky thing for me. Okay. But realizing that, it was a very good film. Very well made. Simple film, quite honestly. Nothing flashy from cinematography. Nothing that just blows you away with the visuals or anything. It was a very simple, well-made film. Very, very well acted by a young child actor. That's okay. always the tough thing. Sure. you got to believe the, the young actor if you're going to get into the film. And this kid, Thomas Durit, Durot, I'm probably butchering the last name. Apologize for that. Uh, very, very good. Very hmm. good young actor. So with that, good recommendation. Uh, okay. It's not for everybody. Subtitled, uh, very slow-paced film. Can be a little uh, tough dramatically at times. But I thought I thought it was a well-made film. So having seen your first Dardan Brother film, will you see another? Sure. Okay. I, I am interested. Uh, okay. I know this is also with them. The two brothers are, are older, fairly older directors okay. now. So I'm actually curious if they were more daring in their younger years with films or if their films have always been fairly straightforward like this one or what. So okay. I'm very interested. Absolutely. So let me turn it over to you. What, what film do you have for us? Pixar's latest release, Brave. In accordance with our laws, the firstborn of each of the great leaders must prove their worth. Merida, stop! A lady enjoys elegant oh. pursuits. I present my only son. He took out a whole armada single-handedly. He was... With one arm, he was steering the ship. Oh. I want my freedom. But are you willing to pay the price your freedom will cost? Disney has made, of course, films with a lady as the focus. Yes, but this quite is a few, pic- actually. Yeah, quite a few princesses. Mm-hmm. But this is Pixar's first film where they have a woman as the focus. Okay. And it's basically a Scottish princess who rebels against her parents Mm -hmm. and doesn't, they want her to assume the role of a princess and look for a suitable suitor. Mm -hmm. And she's not really interested in that. So the film kind of works through how she's coming to terms with who she is and Mm -hmm. her relationships with her parents. Sure. Um, So yeah, brave. I was really surprised at how ordinary and simple it was and quite frankly, kind of boring. Really? Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, the shine is coming off the Pixar wheel a little oh, bit. Oh, more than a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, this is the one, their last film, Cars 2. Yes. And before that, yeah. we had Toys 3, Toy Story 3. Which now, I liked. Toy Story 3, I liked. Cars 2, Ugh. I didn't even see. No, Cars 2 was bad. Because I heard it was bad and it looked derivative. Well, it's then, just, it was a very ordinary CGI cash grab film. And then we have Brave, which I'll yeah. do, talk more about Brave in a second. Following up Brave, what do we have? Monsters, Monsters. University, which yeah. is Monsters, Inc. Part 2. Now I'll okay. give it that. Following would, that, yeah. what do we have? Supposedly, rumored, Tom Hanks spilled the beans, Toy Story Really? They're going to do another one? The third one capped off so beautifully. Yes, it did. I'm afraid what is happening to Disney and now slash Pixar. Well, that's the thing. Disney completely owns it. They went into a 
pothole before Little Mermaid came out where they were doing things like Great Mouse Detective yeah. and Oliver and Company. And they just, their animation department was crap. Then they revitalized it with Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Aladdin Beauty, Beauty and, the, and Beast, the Beast, Lion King. Mm. They had a resurgence. Then they went into a hole again and Pixar brought them out. Pixar has had a really nice run of films, but starting with Cars 2, I think they're running out of gas. You think, you think Disney might be... Uh Force some Pixar's creativity down a little bit, and now, yeah, I don't know. Or, I don't know who to point the finger at, but yeah. I just, I really, I'm strongly concerned about uh, Pixar's creativity. Wow. So let's, you know, on Brave, basically, it's not a story you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And what I described about daughter struggling with who she is and struggling with her against her parents. Not that Disney movies, Pixar movies, don't have similar themes. But usually they explore them in a new way or an interesting Mm. way, like Finding Nemo. Like, it was fish. Okay, so instead of being people having this separation anxiety about their children growing up, it was fish. That was interesting. Brave, to me, was Mulan set in Scotland. Yeah. Okay, so Mulan was a Disney movie. But that's – it just was not inventive. There's a part where there's a little bit of magic that comes into play. And Mm. I was really excited when that started. Because, you know, you see this witch character and I was like, oh, okay, this is really going to ramp up and this is really going to get interesting. And the witch does a little bit of a thing and then she's gone and never returns. Wow. And it just, I was really surprised with how ordinary Brave was and just very kind of boring. Oh, that's a real shame. And they had opportunities through the witch. The witch even has a little bit of a sidekick and a crow and... There was opportunities there, too, and just... Just didn't capitalize on it, huh? Didn't capitalize. I was very disappointed. Plus... Well, I've heard some very mixed reviews. Okay. Um, and that's not common for a Pixar film. Yeah, usually it's glowing. Yeah. Cars <laughs> 2 was... Most people I talked to, kids love it, but parents and adults are just, eh, and it wasn't really anything to it. Brave, I'm hearing very mixed reviews. It does make me a little worried. It's back-to-back Pixar films that... You know, Toy Story 3 was a very good film, but it also was a sequel to a very well-known franchise. And it got a lot of people emotional because it kind of capped off a good trilogy. I think they were kind of playing on the heartstrings of everybody with that one. Sure. So now they've done their next two films. One's a knockoff sequel, and the other one sounds like not the most original thing in the world. It's a really, that's a, that's a shame. And it's a little worrisome. And one of the things too, that really grated on me was that one of the character voices was Billy Conley. Yeah. Who has that, you know, the, the Mm -hmm. accent. And I just thought it was, I mean, granted, I guess he has a, I don't know if he's Scottish by birth. I mean, I know it's at least English guys. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. over in Europe's, (laughs) in Europe's realm, but his accent just seemed really over the top, really? annoying and great. And he plays, the, the he plays the father. Yeah, in the previews I've seen, it just seemed Oof. like it was more of a caricature yeah. of a lot of characters. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so that kind of now we'll say that's as, tough. As far as like the look of the film oh. and you know the animation and everything, that was all fine. Okay. Yeah. That was all fine, and you know the voice acting, whatever, outside of Billy Connolly, to me wasn't annoying so really it comes down to the script yeah and i guess the story that's where it kind of fell apart but you know pixar makes good looking movies sure probably cars 2 looked good oh no it did it was beautiful but it's just the story was really really weak and it was all played for laughs and you just make as many toys as possible from it so (laughs) okay well that's that's a shame to hear well i'm afraid our our positive reviews are not going to pick up steam with Uh my next one Uh um abraham lincoln vampire hunter and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. 
So here's the thing. I admire a well-made horror film. I like the concept of the novel Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. I think it's ingenious. I think it's fun. Let's take a piece of traditional history and let's kind of weave in a supernatural element to it and kind of have a hybrid story that's part historical, part horror, part action. That's fun. I get it. And when I heard they were making the film from this, I was generally interested. This could be a fun movie. Tim Burton, executive producer. Okay, that's pretty interesting. The director, Tamar, oh boy. Yeah, it's, Jack, Rus- it's a Russian name. <laughs> yeah. uh, did the, was it The Daylight and uh, um, the Vampire films? Yes, the, night tri- the, it was the like na- a Nightfall Trilogy right. or uh, whatever those were called. I forget, I'm bad with those names. So overall, and he did Wanted, which I never saw, but he some also, people saw He also did um, Nine, didn't he? That, yes, that I believe he did. Motion thingy. Yes. So some good director and executive producer credits to it. I'm like, okay, this yeah. could actually be good. If it's a gothic horror set in a historical perspective and they blend the two really well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, this movie, I thought this movie was just a mess. It was uh, not fun. Really? Um, no. I, I thought it was so many issues with it. The lead, the lead actor, Benjamin Walker, playing Abraham Lincoln, just not a very good actor uh, oh, in general, okay. which really hurt the overall film. Yeah. Um, you had some other performances. Anthony Mackie um, plays a kind of a, a friend of a childhood friend that grows up alongside him. Not a good actor either. And just did not really pull any Anthony Mackie, not a good actor. No, I well, wow. not in this movie anyway. Okay. The only acting job I thought that really, really worked, uh, was the main bad vampire guy, uh, Rufus Sewell. Who, yeah. Yeah. Really, really good. I thought he played he played the part. I mean, he played the notoriously bad vampire, leader of the bad vampire group. Okay. The action was over-stylized. Um, a lot of slow motion, a lot of uh, weird, strangely lit shots, and just things that didn't look natural. Hmm. The weaving into American history, I thought, was very poorly done, and it really didn't even like, catch in until like the last thirty minutes of the film. Really? The rest of it, the rest of the film, the first hour and a half, it could have been any guy as a vampire hunter. There was nothing really distinguishing about him being, him being Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. Okay, it was the last half hour. You kind of felt like they were trying to cram all this Civil War, Emancipation Proclamation stuff into, it, and it just didn't work. It was a hmm. mess. Um, so many skips of logic that just didn't make sense with regards to the vampires and the rules. And didn't make sense in a way that took you out of a movie instead of something that you could have ignored and thought was fun. No, it got to the point where about halfway through the film, it turned into more of a mystery science theater 3000 type of thing. Wow. You were looking for what else was going to go wrong with this film and didn't make sense. It was cliched. It was over the top. It was, you know, you just knew the tell. You, it was telegraphed so far in advance what was going to happen. Hmm. There were a couple of interesting visual moments that I thought about afterwards. I liked uh, a scene with an entire train bridge on fire towards the end, where a big climactic scene was happening. It was pretty well done as far as a visual side of things. Um, but really, man, what a mess! What a disappointment! Not hmm. a fun film. Well, that was one that I was curious about. So now yeah. it sounds like I could just wait. <laughs> yeah. No, it was not. Uh, it, it's not. It was not what it could have been given the source material. I think okay. and the style of it. So disappointing there. 
right, in your last movie, are we going to continue with the disappointments or or not? Um, actually, I, I won't say it. No, I guess it's not a straight out disappointment. Okay, a disappointment with the ending. <laughs> okay, and the film uh, is the film is uh, the cabin in the woods. Doesn't even show up on the GPS. It's unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole point. Get off the grid, right? Hello? I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards. Time says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. Not to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. So uh, this is the one that was kind of hyped a little bit in the, I guess, indie community because it was a horror film, but yet it wasn't a horror film. And most importantly, I guess, to some of the people that really follow his career, which Alan, I think, is one of them, yes. uh, it was written by Joss Whedon. Yes, it was. And it had another, uh, the, either the director or the co-writer was also of the Lost, uh, lost uh, Could pedigree. Be. Could be. Yes. Yeah. What's the names on that? What's the other names uh, on that? The director is and it Drew also, Goddard. Drew Goddard. Yes, Drew Goddard has Lost okay. uh, pedigree as well. Okay. He's either a writer or helped direct some episodes of Lost. Also, I got you. Yes. Okay, I was not aware of that. Yes. Um, so basically, what you have here, the title kind of says it. It is a cabin in the woods. The movie opens. There are I can't remember how many, maybe six teenager or young people, college students, maybe you know, going to a cabin for a weekend getaway and, you know, mm-hmm. it's out in the middle of nowhere and you kind of say, okay, yes, this is a horror movie. Yeah, I know where this is never going. been done before. No, no, <laughs> never. So you, you take that and you say, okay, I know what I'm getting into. I had heard that this movie played with expectations mm-hmm. and it was not what you expected. So that's why I went to go see it. Cause I, in general, don't go see horror movies cause I like to do something at the movies otherwise than just be scared. You know, it doesn't okay. usually entertain me. So, Basically, this movie does have a lot of ideas thrown at you about what, as a movie-going audience, you expect and what they they try to... For example, one thing is at one point a girl is about to become naked, mm-hmm. okay? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, that always happens in horror movies. And, and they, I won't go into how they play with that expectation, but they do. And they mm-hmm. kind of change some things around. And it's interesting what they're trying to say about, like, what you thought you would see and why you think you would see that because of your expectations have been built sure. up in previous films. So that was interesting. Um, the movie was a lot funnier than I thought it would be. And okay. I think for the most part, I'm not talking about being unintentionally funny, but like a lot of the jokes worked when I didn't think they would. It kind of, it kind of had a scream atmosphere mm-hmm. to it right. a little bit. Sure. You know how that was, it was a horror movie, but yet it had a lot of funny things. Well, at least the first one did. And it sounds like a little of the meta side of things too, where yes. it's like commenting, commenting on, on the on fact things. of being in a horror film. So, right. Yeah. Um, so I would say if you like, if in general, if you like horror movies, but yet you like things that are slightly quirky or, you know, like the meta level to it, it's probably a movie you'd want to check out. Um, my disappointment came with it kind of, the reason all these things were happening to these cho- children, to these kids that go to the cabin, the end result reason didn't really work for me. It was so far out there. It just seemed silly. Hmm. Okay. And maybe if the filmmakers were going for that to try to comment on, oh, all horror movies are silly and their premise doesn't make any sense anyway, then maybe that would be something, Maybe that. maybe that's how I need to take it. But instead, I just found it, 
kind of silly and I was going along through the first half and even through the, or the first third and the second third, I was kind of right there with the filmmakers and mm-hmm. kind of really dug what they were doing. And then the reasoning that ends up happening, I thought was just completely stupid. So really <laughs> it was doing okay. It sounds like until the end, then it, it lost some points with you at the end. I, I think so. But you know, it's, it's still interesting to see. And it's one of those movies that I don't even know if, if it would be the same. It's still in a, some scattered theaters. If you were to see it at home, not with an audience. I don't know if it would play the same way uh, because seeing it, you know, on a Friday night with an audience full of people, some people that are hardcore horror fans and hearing their reaction when things don't turn out how they thought they were going to. Mm-hmm. And some people that were there wanting to see a horror movie, they didn't really get what they wanted. Right, <laughs> so, sure. so it, it, I don't know. It was, it was, and you could tell immediately afterwards when the credits rolled, there were mixed reactions in the crowd. Some people were just, you know, voicing their displeasure. Other people were like, Oh, that was really funny. Or I really like that. You know, so hmm. interesting movie. I think, you know, Joss Whedon having a hand in it, that makes me more interested in some of his stuff. So, sure. um, not a glowing review, but I think, you know, for fans of film and stuff, it's definitely worth checking out. Not your, not your average movie. Well, it is interesting. Drew Goddard that we mentioned, you know, the director, he wrote it as well, along with Joss Whedon. But this is his first directing job. Oh, okay. He's normally been a producer and a writer. He wrote uh, for the Alias TV show, which I was a big mm. fan of. He lost. He wrote for Lost. Um, and he did help write the film uh, Cloverfield, which oh, I was not okay. a big fan of. Right. But, you know. Anyway, so some interesting interesting history there. But that was his first film directing. So, neat. Sounds like it was a good start for him, at least. So not, Yeah, not I would bad. think so. Yeah. So recapping these four films, sounds like we're saying uh, The Kid with the Bike. I say a good film, but just know what you're getting into. It's a French film. It's very slow, deliberate, uh, heavy on the dramatic side. But I thought it was a good film. Brave, you said a disappointment. A little more too ordinary for a Pixar film is mm-hmm. what I hear from you there. Right. Um, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, not a big fan. I thought that was really – it was just a sloppy movie trying to capitalize on the popularity of a book that had a lot more going for it and could have been done so much, so much better. And then we're saying The Cabin in the Woods. You say good film, not spectacular, but a good entry into the meta horror common, yeah. commenting on the state of the horror film today yeah. genre. It's a good, good. way to put it. Right, good great. summed it up. Hey, good. I've been, I was actually paying attention, so there you that's go. good. That's good. Great. Well, that's some f- films that all four of those are ones that either are still in the theaters or should be exiting theaters soon, so they'll be available for rental or online streaming, hopefully in the next little bit. So if you saw any of these films, whether it's Prometheus or the four we just talked about, and you've got any thoughts, agreements, disagreements on what we said, uh, drop us a line. Let us know. Info at TheMesh.TV. You can drop us an email. You can go to the website. Also fill out the little form to contact us. Just let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to read maybe some of your comments in future episodes as well. Before we wrap up, Chris, uh, we always like to kind of give some recommendations of other films to check out. Mm-hmm. And because we talked about a lot of films, a lot of these are still ones in the theater. Uh, I thought we'd take just a couple minutes to talk about a film uh, that's in the Netflix streaming or online availability. Because more and more people, even though I hate to admit it, are finding themselves not going out to the theater as much, whether it be for cost or time or family. Sure. But because the online streaming community has grown so much with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon's videos, there's a lot of good film options online for streaming and watching. So let's recommend a film for them. Uh, there's a film that we both have seen recently, mm-hmm. fresh on our brain. Uh, do you want to you want to kick it off? You want to tell us, tell the fans, uh, the, the listeners, a little bit about it? It's uh, Lars von Trier's latest movie, and it's Melancholia. 
thrilled about this wedding. And I know it's costing John a lot of money. It's not about the cost. I thought you really wanted this. But I do. What star is that? The red one. I don't know. What's going on, Justine? It's a planet that has been hiding behind the sun. Now it passes by us. I just have one thing to say. Enjoy it while it lasts. I myself hate marriages. Can we please? Is everyone in your family star grieving man? I smile and I smile and smile. You're lying to all of us. I'm not really happy. This is the one that, after he made it, he kind of became the bad boy of cons, and he's not welcome back. <laughs> yes. yes he's, this is the one where he kind of went on a little bit of a, a joking, supposedly, tirade supposedly. about. You have to do with Nazis or some yes. other things, I believe. Uh, now, our large Von Trier, I'm going to tell you, those of you that, A, there'll be, there'll be probably three audiences listening to this podcast that are going to have different <laughs> reactions when they hear that name. Right. First group will be that they love his films. He's a very dynamic, very creative, and very risk-taking filmmaker. Mm-hmm. There's going to be another crowd of people that hate his films. Yes. Okay, because they've seen Antichrist. Yes. And they've seen some other films he's made. Then there'll be the other group that don't know anything about this guy. Right. Um, he's an interesting filmmaker. He's been making films for quite a while, and they're very, very provocative films. Mm-hmm. Dancer in the Dark, Dogville, um, Antichrist we mentioned a second ago. Right. Um, what's some other ones? I'm, I'm drawing Five Obstructions. Five Obstructions, which I know you've talked about actually I think way back in one of our early Kindle films podcast about a film we ought to be checking out. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a he made this really strange um, comedy, believe it or not, but it wasn't really a comedy. It kind of was called The Boss of It All, which is also oh, really strange. Oh, I that one. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a an office takeoff. Not, a, you know, like the Weird. The yeah thing with uh, Steve Carell, but not really. So it's strange. Yeah. He's all over the place. Was, absolutely. And so Melancholia stars uh, Chris, uh, Kirsten Dunst, mm-hmm. uh, also Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple others, and I'm drawing a blank on the other ones in the in the film. But um, basically, the, the story here it, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. So just kind of stay with us here for a second. <laughs> Ultimately, is a film about the end of the world. Yes. It's a film about Earth, another yeah. planet about to collide with Earth. Yes. Okay, so it sounds very sci-fi and all, but it's not. Yeah. That's ultimately what's driving the film. But what we're really focusing on are two sisters. Uh, because the film is kind of cut in half. The first half really, really focuses on one sister. Second half really spends more time with the other sister. Yes. But they're very interconnected their lives. They are both reacting to this impending disaster in very different ways. All the while, also depending on one another to some degree for things, the people around them, the way it's affecting them. First half of the film, we have an impending a, a wedding and a reception. Mm-hmm. Second half is more of the aftermath of the wedding reception, like some period of time afterwards, mm-hmm. dealing with the impending doom that's coming. So, Chris, tell us a little bit. Why should people check this film out? Well, <laughs> if you've never seen a Lars von Trier movie. This probably isn't maybe the one to start on. Um, well, see, I thought it was a fairly accessible one. I mean, it definitely had some touches, some things that were a little out there. But um, I do think overall you can get into this film and not walk away confounded or – I don't know. I thought it was I, probably I, more yeah, accessible than others. I guess, yeah, I guess it is accessible. I think, too – it's not an easy film mm-hmm. to watch because there are a lot of uncomfortable situations and there's a lot of tension. Yes. So I would not say it's an enjoyable film, but if you like watching good acting 
And if you appreciate, and if you don't mind watching like uncomfortable family situations and very awkward, then this is a good film because the acting is really solid. And yeah. it's an interesting study on basically depression. Kirsten Dunst, mm. who is the bride in the first part, she has some emotional problems and it's not easy seeing her deal with them and how she reacts to other people. But it's an interesting portrayal mm-hmm. of depression. And so, you know, it's interesting to watch for that. Charlotte Gainsbourg, I think, plays Charlotte the, Gainsbourg, yes, is the uh, sister Claire. You're and right. she's the more dominant person in the, in the yeah. second. And her reality with having to deal with this impending doom and her having a family. And so it's, there again, not easy subject matter to watch, but interesting to see how she handles things. Um, so. I will say is a couple of standouts, some reasons why we're recommending this film. I mean, it's not for everybody. Just go ahead and say that. I mean, you got to kind of be ready to go in for a a very interesting experience with it. But if you're going to get into Lars von Trier, I do think it's a good stepping stone into some of his films that you get enough creativity, you get enough inventiveness, but without it being too overwhelming, I think personally, that's the way I felt about it. Um, Kirsten Dutt, I thought did fine. I think Charlotte Gainsbourg is a much, much better actress, and she really shows her chops later in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of people point out Charlotte Rampling oh, plays the mom. the mom. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's just say that this movie probably has the most uncomfortable, awkward wedding reception I've ever seen yeah. put on film. And, and it's really well done. It is very well done, <laughs> but just the fact of the pacing of it, the fact that nothing is running, things are hours behind schedule, mm. tensions are high, there's a lot of interpersonal drama going on. You've got a mother that is basically anti-marriage, anti-everything that this she, wedding reception stands for. It was a Yeah, she very basically gives scene. the anti-wedding toast speech, wow. and it's amazing. The whole reception, <laughs> I thought, was just, wow. It was a really interesting thing to, to behold. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that, you know, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's in it, who mm-hmm. I thought really good. I have not seen Kiefer Sutherland in a interesting role. Uh, he's Jack Bauer, basically, in everything I ever see. This was really <laughs> well done. He And he takes a turn towards the end I did not expect either. Right. Um, overall, you know, I thought it was a good film. I will say the main reason I'm going to recommend this film, the number one reason, is sure. the opening 10 minutes. Oh. The opening 10 minutes, these incredibly slow motion shots. Yes. That are almost like paintings mm-hmm. and they'd foreshadow elements in the film later to come. I think are just breathtaking. Well, I could watch some of those shots like for a whole film. And I think, yeah, I think Lars von Trier, if you don't like the subject matter, he has a way of being, having really interesting shots. The cinematography in his movies. Yeah. I didn't really care for antichrist. I saw it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care for it. But a lot of the cinematography in that movie was very interesting, sure. the way he composed shots and just how things – and he used some slow motion stuff. Yes. In this movie, it's a much – I think it's a much better movie mm-hmm. than Antichrist. And there's a lot more there than just the beautiful cinematography. But you're right. Those opening oh, minutes gorgeous. of the slow motion stuff and then how they repeat themselves throughout the film, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. No, I thought it was a really good film, very good – surprising. I really didn't know if I was going to enjoy it going into it, and I did. So it's on Netflix Instant Streaming, as well as other online sources. You can find the film, I'm sure. Uh, definitely worth checking out if you're curious about Lars von Trier as a director. Uh, this is a good recent film to check out of his, which I think is pretty indicative of a lot of his films. It's got 
some of the same kind of elements. Uh, you may be able to start with this film and go to some of his others, and it, you won't be too far off base with where he is as a director. And you get along the way some great performances and a pretty interesting uh, story to begin with. So, sure. Good. So that's Melancholia. Worth checking out a 2011 film that should be available online now. Wow. We covered, we've covered. we had two episodes back-to-back, Chris, where we just knocked out a whole bunch of films. I know. It's impressive. We haven't really touched on any movie news in the last couple months because we've just had so many films to review. It's summertime. There's a lot out there to talk about. Uh, we're going to keep trying to talk about some of the mainstream films as well as what we consider the foot candle films, the ones that maybe are not getting the attention they should. We feel like need to have a little more of a spotlight put on them. So we're going to try to keep going with that as we go forward throughout the show. Uh, talking about the good balance of films that you may want to check out um, that are in theaters or available online for streaming. As I mentioned a little bit ago, if you've got any feedback for us on what you liked or didn't like about the reviews, agreements, disagreements, send them our way, info at themesh.tv, or go to themesh.tv and fill out the contact us form. Just mention in the subject line that this is for Foot Candle Films and write your message away. We get it. We'll get forwarded to us. And uh, we will see how we can incorporate that in future shows as well. Um, I think we're going to have a mailbag function next time we get together. Excellent. That's what I'm planning for. I think I've got a, an email or two that we're going to bottle up and be ready to, to read and use and share at our next episode. So we'd love to keep that going beyond the next episode. So please send in some uh, as you have those thoughts and ideas. So with that, I guess we're going to wrap it up, Chris. Anything else we need to share with the audience here? Uh, no, we do have a foot candle showing of the um, documentary Bully coming yes. up in July. July we'll be showing the documentary Bully. So whenever we put together our July episode, we'll be make sure to, to cover that. And I'm sure we'll have a couple other theater-based uh, films to talk about at that point as well. So we will be putting our next episode together in July and be on the lookout for that. Um, and until then, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Foot Candle Films. We will see you next time. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. So maybe we don't do news this time either. Because I've got movies I can talk about that I've seen. Let's just talk about movies. (laughs) Really, my news was going to be pretty lame news. The whole James Cameron has said now all he's doing is Avatar movies. He's got three he's shooting at a time. Nice. Are you serious? Yep. That's oh, he's, awesome. He's, he's just in the Avatar business. Now. That's awesome. Sigourney Weaver has basically come on record as saying, yes, I've been told that I need to block out X number of months of my life, and he's going to film three at a time, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. And she's willing to do that. Yeah. 
the interview with her did not sound too thrilled. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's but like, great. there again, the money talks. Oh, yeah. 